Welcome to Inside the Banjoverse, a podcast exploring Roots Music's great artists. Please do rate and subscribe. It makes a huge difference and let all your friends know to listen. This is Enda Scahill from Irish bluegrass crossover band We Banjo 3. Before you freak out, don't worry, there's actually four of us and mostly just one banjo. That's me. I read books and I played music and I had almost no social skills. (laughs) (laughs) Were there any books for social skills? No. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't read them. Ron Block, I've never met anybody in bluegrass music or in any music who didn't speak about Ron Block in the highest terms, uh, both as a person and as a musician. And having met Ron a number of times over the years, I completely concur. He's an absolute gentleman, a musician of the highest renown, but also a really curious person. Uh, with a great interest in music outside of bluegrass banjo, and particularly in Irish music, seen in his work that he's done recently with Damien O'Kane. I loved this interview with Ron, really, really deep thinker, uh, brilliant musician. Oddly enough, despite all of the technical wizardry that we both have accumulated, we did develop the weirdest digital gurgle that uh, we've no idea where it came from. But for this podcast, I have decided to play music in the background just to distract you from it so that you can focus on all the incredible stuff that Ron has to say. So I do hope that you enjoy this episode with the great Ron Block. You see, I, 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 here's what I, f- I feel, right? It's like, oh my God, I'm going back on tour in two months' time. I have failed at the pandemic. I haven't learned Spanish or German. <laughs> I don't meditate every day and I'm not able to do yoga. And I had all these notions, right. you know. I think I think a lot of us put way too much pressure on ourselves at the beginning. Oh, now I have all this time, so I'm going to, you know, do 47 things. And my only focus was I want to get better at flat picking guitar, like faster flat picking and improve up those skills and then my banjo playing i want to be able to play very softly if i want to instead of playing you know like at a medium to hard dynamic okay so So that's what i've that's what i've been working on more than more than anything and my singing well i mean two two questions well there's three there but two one is are we are we started yet i record everything this is like going into the studio and you tell the engineer just press record in case we miss something really awesome by accident gotcha gotcha did you achieve what you set out to and uh maybe just explain a little bit of the process of you talk a little bit about why you wanted to learn not not learn but to practice playing banjo softer I think this well, is, there's I, a story think, behind that, right? Yeah, it, it, I found, you know, with Allison, when I play with Union Station, the banjo has a very specific role, R-O-L-E, and not R-O-L-L. So it has a very specific role in that when I pull the banjo out, you know, after a soft finger-picky song like Forget About It, well, all of a sudden, and Dan's singing, all of a sudden, it's the party. So it's really like, it's really like the rock guitar going, you know, like it's that kind of thing. That's what the banjo is for in that instance. So in its role in the band, it was never, we almost never used it as a soft, pretty instrument. It was used as an angry instrument, bluesy uh, desperate, all these different feelings that we used it for, but it wasn't sublime. <laughs> it was never used in that capacity. <clears throat> and as I played with Damien and we did that first record, I found there were times where I was like, man, I, I gotta get my dynamics going better. So I would really have to focus and concentrate in the studio to make my dynamics get to a really soft level. And I feel like we've we've recorded a lot of the second album, and I feel like the dynamics are, have gotten my dynamics. His are great, but my dynamics have gotten better um, 
on the second album. They're 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 still good. I I, I but I had to focus more on on banjophony to get those dynamics. Whereas uh, on the second album, which a lot of it was done before the pandemic, so I was already kind of working on this before then. Um, the dynamics are much better. So so it's just I want to be able to float in whatever musical situation and whatever the situation demands. And I spent literally 30 years in a musical situation that demanded primarily me to play medium to hard banjo. So it's a, it's just a different thing playing with really solid timing at a really soft uh, volume. Is there a muscle memory part to this? And I I always ask my questions by telling my own story. I, I understand exactly what you're talking about because there was a time when I played like almost chamber style Irish music and I became mm-hmm. incredibly zen uh when I was in that, I was sitting down first, and so it, there was none of the performance elements. So I could focus on becoming really relaxed, and yeah. I got this incredible fluid fluidity in my, particularly in my right hand, which is you know the wheelhouse of the the Irish banjo. And then yeah. with Wee Banjo Three, suddenly you're playing to ten thousand people, and you're rocking out, and everything yeah. gets really, really tight and really. And so yep. when I when I would sit at home uh, with just me and my banjo, and I would try to play, my right hand just remembers stage volume and yeah one of the ways that i got around that bizarrely i don't understand the mechanics of this is i would wear headphones like like noise reduction headphones and when i played banjo and could barely hear it but could feel it then i could get the the ease and the gentleness back in my right hand does that does that make any sense no i think i think that's um one of the main things that i've had to concentrate on is not is to get I've always been so concentrated on the sound and the tone that I'm getting that I haven't paid enough attention sometimes to the way it feels. And it's just, it's true of playing when you're playing for, when you're flat picking and there's a, there's a feeling of each note connecting. Like when, when I pluck with my, with a pick with my right hand, and I'm, and I press down a note and pluck at the same time, I can feel the string buzz in my fingertip on my left hand. So there's a feeling associated with all that and the way your hand feels and whether you feel tension and all those things are really important to pay attention to. But, you know, when you're out there just gigging all the time and then practicing for the gig, you know, I was, I, well, I was not as cognizant of those things as I was the sound and the tone and what I needed to do for the gig. So, so to look at music and my music in particular in a broader dynamic perspective has been really healthy for me, especially during the, you know, having so much downtime and being able to spend a lot of time just thinking about these things and, and practicing. Yeah. How does things that, that I, things that I want to practice. How, you know? how does playing on stage in front of a big audience with a big band, how does that impact on how you feel your instrument and hear what you're playing? Uh, well, the main thing for me is always, it's really always been about, first of all, pleasing myself with, you know, like, I want my timing to feel good. I want, I want the tone to be good, all those things. And then secondarily, I want to please the band. You know, of course, any band you play with, you want them to go that rocked, you know, you want them to, to really feel it when you play. And then, you know, thirdly, and not least important is the audience but you know it's kind of in my mind it's in that order because that's where it has to proceed from it has to proceed from myself first and then the people you're playing with um, because you play with them every day and then to the audience so so in playing in front of a, a big audience I mean we usually use earbuds you know the the we use ears when we play and it's really just about getting 
being able to hear everybody in the band and then um, playing. But it does, I'll tell you, it, what really affects me when I'm playing in a big situation is if I can step into the microphone and I hear my banjo come up in the house. And I've been in many, many situations in my life where I, where I'm playing and I step in to do a fill or a solo and it doesn't come up in the house. And I'm just like, why am I even here? You know, because, and, and you can tell lots of times when you're, when the audience is, you know, you're looking at the audience while you're, you know, going into the solo. And if they're kind of confused and they are looking at the fiddle player and then looking at the dobro player and, and you can tell they don't know what soloing that's a that's a problem sound wise you know so for me one of the best things is being able to hear the banjo come up in the house even though i have ears in you can still hear the house come up step in and when it's when it's powerful you can work that distance for the mic because i don't plug in the banjo so you can work the distance, you know, the, the foot and a half or, you know, foot or so to the mic and move in and out and really um, affect the dynamics of the band that way. Do you have words yeah. with the sound engineer on those nights when you're not in the house? <laughs> I have before. <laughs> Couldn't hear it. And is there drums? And how does that affect stepping in and out of microphones? Because... My experience is that if you know if you got a really loud stage and you're on mics versus on pickups, you run yeah. into issues with feedback and things like that. Yeah, well, with Damien, it's more uh, Damien and uh, the boys. It's I plug in, I do plug in in that situation, and we sit. So the dynamics have to come pretty much solely from my right hand, and then Josh Clark, you know, turn things up and down where necessary, and he does a great job. Um, but Normally, uh, in most situations, especially with Allison and Union Station, we don't have drums and banjo at the same time most of the time. Usually it's the drum, you know, the, if, the, if we have a drummer, and at times through the years we've had a drummer on our shows, you know, so we do forget about it and those kind of songs with drums. But the drummer would play on maybe seven, eight songs out of a 20-song set. And, uh, and then we would also have keyboards, too, sometimes. We carried keyboards uh, in the 2000s, you know, 2000 to, like, 2010. And then after a certain point, Allison just went, we don't, we don't really need drums or keyboards. We can just do all these songs with just the five of us because we're, we're rhythmic. You know, you can, you can get by. So I never really did a whole lot of banjo with drums. And probably if we were a, a big you know, country band with drums and all that on everything. And I was playing banjo. I'd have to plug in. Yeah. But yeah. it worked. It worked really well with the microphone, but the, my guitar, I had to plug in Yeah, because, um, it, after a while it, um, I, the finger picky stuff, that's really soft. You can't get loud enough. I can get loud enough with a flat pick for, uh, now that I've found you or any of those kind of songs where I use a flat pick. But when I'm finger picking, like, forget about it. I'd have to use finger picks, and it's not the sound I'm going for. I use a thumb pick and, and no finger picks. Mm. So, anyway. What's it like uh, having been 30 years or so in the same band? Obviously, there there are hits that Alison does most nights, and there's a, and a rotating set list, probably a huge catalogue. But for you yeah. to, to stay fresh and to stay interested and to stay excited about playing, is that a challenge, or is every night just completely different anyway? Well, the the wonderful thing about playing with Allison is, she, you know, she never, well, we went on her country band tour. You know, she did a, a record called Windy City. I still call them records. Damien <laughs> makes fun of me for that. <laughs> but we did an album called Windy City, or she did an album called Windy City. And then um, she got a bunch of us, Barry Bales and myself, and, uh, you know, a great country band together. And um, we went out and played all those songs. And during rehearsals, she said, I don't want you guys to feel like you have to play the solos that are on the album. So we were allowed a lot of leeway. And it's always been that way, uh, even with Union Station. Now, 
I will say, like Jerry Douglas sometimes plays things on a record where it just has to, he has to play the same thing because it becomes so, it's so identifiable. It's like his fills on um, Let Me Touch You for a While um, or some of those other songs. He does these, these fills that are so iconic that if he doesn't play them the same way, uh, he did that one time. He got in some, he was in some improvisy mood. And he started improvising on where those fills are supposed to go. And then Dan and I, I think we were like on the second verse looking at each other going, where are we? <laughs> like we didn't even know where we were in the song anymore because we're so used to those iconic sounds. But for the most part, my own playing, um, some some of the guitar stuff I would play real kind of similar and stick close to home every night. But the banjo stuff, I, w- I was always allowed to. I would kick off the song if I kicked it off the same way pretty much and then the second solo i could just do whatever i wanted you know as long as i stuck i stuck i i kept the melody in there when i improvise i try to keep the melody in there and reference the melody even though i'm doing other things and going playing bends and doing stuff but i'm referencing the melody so all that to say being able to do that combined with playing such you know really lovely songs that Allison would find and pick. And the songs are so good, you don't, I'd never really got tired of them. There were maybe one or two through the years where I was like, okay, we'll, <laughs> we'll get through this one. You know, like after, after a while, but most of them, like now that I found you, I can come to that song every night and go, oh, this one. And try to put, you put that same energy into it that you, you know, you just don't, you just don't let yourself do it by rote. You don't just go, here's another song, and I'm bored. You don't do that. You go, we're in front of these people, and we're thankful for all these people, and they're here to feel something. And so you have to, you know, pull that up out of yourself and put something into it rather than letting it just be notes. You know what I mean? You Mm -hmm. have to put your enthusiasm and your love and your your soul into it. Otherwise, why be there? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Like why, why play music if you're not going to do that? Yeah. yeah. Is there a good, uh, it, it sounds like what you're talking about, there's, there's a really good kind of family feel to Union Station in terms of the band. It all, yeah, it really, it, it, for the most part, yeah, it, it was or is. We haven't played together as a band for a while, but um but it really, it, whenever we've gotten on the road, it's like, hey, you know, and we have a, we have a good time. You know, everybody during the day, everybody kind of goes their own way, does their own thing. Whatever mentally you got to do to prepare for the show, you know how that is. Like some people go for long walks or bike ride or sit and play a video game or whatever, like whatever it takes um, to get into that really calm space when you walk out on stage where you feel kind of centered, you know? And for me, that involves, um, you know, doing a lot of walking. If I'm in, if I'm in UK or Ireland or Europe, you know, that means exploring. Like the whole morning is just a walking, I'm walking all over the place. And then I go back to the venue, sit and practice, warm up, all that stuff. And I might read and do some things and get ready for the show. But it, th- so everybody in the band does their thing like that, whatever that may mean for each one of them. And then we play the show, we have a good time. And then at the end of the night, we all go back on the bus and have a, you know, have a good time. Nobody goes crazy with any uh, substance. You know, it's just, it's just basically a little bit of wine or you know, a little bit of beer or whatever. Everybody's old enough now to where we're like, uh, pretty calm you know you know some of us just have tea <laughs> <laughs> you're listening to inside the banjoverse in conversation with ron block Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, 
Even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Um, just take us back to how the whole Alison Krauss Union Station gig started. How did that happen for you? For me, um, I met. Uh, I well, okay. Let me go back. I played in a band called Weary Hearts, and it was a you know bluegrass band. We did Stanley Brothers and Flat and Scruggs, and and we became a regional band. We started traveling up to the up to BC, British Columbia, and you know up in Canada up there. And then we traveled to um, Branson, Missouri, and played Silver Dollar City. And then we went to Spigma, which is a big bluegrass event here in Nashville. And so we began to travel more. And as we began to travel, I began to meet, you know, Barry Bales and Tim Stafford and Adam Steffi. They were in a band called Boys in the Band, and I met them at Branson, Missouri. And, and then I and then uh, met Allison in Nashville with her with her then band. It was Jeff White and Mike Harmon, and so you so you know it's like bluegrass is it's just like you know trad over there. It's like you go to these different events and you start meeting people, and then you go, man, I love that guy's playing. I'm going to go up and tell him. And that's that's all I did. I would just go up if I see somebody sound good. I walk up and go, man, I love that. That was great. And I just tell people, and so through that. You know, it turned into, hey, let's get together and jam later. Let's have a session. So we do that. You know, we would be at an event and go to somebody's hotel room and pick. And so I would pick with Adam and Barry. And so I was playing with those guys in informal situations, you know, probably two years before or three years before I joined the band. And so I think I was just in their mind as we love Ron's playing and so when the time came and that opened that job opened up, uh, I had I had moved to Nashville and I was I'd worked for Lynn Morris for a while, a really great bluegrass singer, banjo player, and I played guitar in that band. Um, and I had I had just quit because it was such a long drive, eleven hour drive to get to their place. And then uh, I was I tried out for Vern Gosden's band, and I was about to say yes to it, and. Um, and then Allison called me and said, uh, you want to join the band? Why don't you feel the way that cold wind stings in blood? And you wish to start like heroes through Every time you say goodbye. So that's kind of how it worked. It was a very um, natural process of, of just getting to know people, liking people and having fun. And, you know, it was in now nowadays people do that intentionally and call it networking. 
(laughs) But like, but to me, networking is a different thing because you have an objective. Like, and I, I didn't have an objective. I wasn't like, who are the most important people I can talk to for my career? I wasn't, I wasn't at all like that. I was just like, you know, I would just go, man, Adam Steffi is killer. I want to pick with that guy. And I, it was all about the music for me. So, yeah, that's generally the origin story of, of you know, getting to play with Union Station. And uh, my first three dates with the band when I joined, it, we played Austin City Limits. And then we did the TV Opry. And we did Hee Haw. And I'd never done any TV and it was all TV. So, (laughs) but fortunately, I was so enamored, of course, by all these amazing players that I was getting to play with. And I was having so much fun that it, you know, it took the edge off some of the nerves. So I was able to function, you know, without freaking out. (laughs) (laughs) They were so good, man. It was so much fun playing with them. Ron, to, to, uh, to get to a level of virtuosity as a banjo player, um, what does that take? There's lots and lots and lots of banjo players, and there are virtuosos, and, and, and there are innovators, and you know, and you are, you know, recognised as as one of the very best. Uh, was that? What am I trying to ask? Was that an easy process, or did you work really hard to become really good? Yeah. I- the older I get, the less I believe in, t- uh, uh, like, a, de- a, a, div- a, a divine download of talent. <laughs> I mean, I do believe I do believe certain things, like, for some people are easier. Now, I do believe that. Like, for some people, um, and I always think of Dan Tominsky like this. Dan can look at something that he wants to do and go, well, what are the components of this? He, he may not put it into these words, but this is essentially what he's doing because I watch him get really good at stuff. And he has this capacity to look deeply into the thing and how the people that are really good at it are doing it. So he's paying attention. So if he's watching, like back when he was Tony Rice was playing, when he would watch Tony Rice play, he's watching Tony play. He's going, well, what's his pick technique look like? Well, what's his left hand look like? Okay, well, what does mine look like? You know, he's analyzing the whole time. And I think a lot of times people that are early on that are talented like that, it's simply because they're looking deeply into the thing. Whereas the person who may seem less talented doesn't immediately understand that you have to look deeply into what other people are doing and how they're doing a thing in order to learn it yourself. So I think talent is overrated. I really do. I think I think hard work, a work ethic will go a lot further than somebody that is talented but lazy. You know, there are people who see deeply into a thing, but they're like they ride on their talent and they kind of get to a certain level and, and they may have a circle of friends that go, you're awesome. And that's all they want. They just they just and they ride that feeling, but they never rise to a, a really high level of playing because they just ride on their talent whereas the person that has less talent at the outset or seems to doesn't know how to look as deeply you can learn how to look deeply into things that that that's a learned behavior you can learn how to do that so the person with the work ethic that wants to get better can often get a lot further than the person who gets out of the starting gate a lot faster you follow mm. That makes so, a lot of sense. Yeah. So that so so you know for me it's like you know when I t- I teach um, banjo and guitar, um, you know people sign up on my website and I give le- you know private lessons, and when I do that I I often see these players that I just think I think this guy's a really good player and he could be so much better if he would just look into A B and C, and so that's what I tell him you know I go you have all this capacity. All you have to do is do the work and, and focus on more on your timing, focus a little more on your tone, you know, your and 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 your connection between your notes. Does that make sense? Yeah. So so when you're when you're talking about did I, you know, did I work really hard? Yeah. I mean, I I started out playing and of course my people in my family, you know, didn't really want me to play music they thought that i should you know get get a real job 
you know. And in some, I mean, in some sense, they were right. They were do they were trying to do their best for me, and they wanted me to do well and all that. So, but what it made me do is it made me go, well, if 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 you think I'm not going to be able to make it as a musician, then I'm going to work two or three times as hard as anybody I I know. And so that's all I did, literally, when I was a. Uh, in my teens and late teens, early twenties, I just played. That's why I sat and practiced and learned and studied and played with a metronome, played with a drum machine, recorded. I just that's I, that's all I did, basically. I read books, and I played music, and I had almost no social skills. <laughs> Were there any books for social skills? No. <laughs> yeah, I didn't read them. I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a while to learn social skills. You know, fortunately, I married uh, a woman who has very highly developed social skills. So she's helped me out a lot in the last few years. I, I, yeah. I have a funny feeling a lot of banjo players have had the same experience. I can, <laughs> I'm going to say, sadly, I relate 100% to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it takes, you know, playing banjo, you're, you're dividing all the beats. You know, it's like, you know, the bass player goes gong, gong in bluegrass, gong. Dong, dong, gong, dong, dong. And they may do some little things here and there, but they're not going. You're not doing that as the bass player. And the fiddle player is sometimes in bluegrass is singing over the top of things and playing long, you know, whole note lines over things and double stops. But the banjo player almost always in bluegrass is going. You're playing, you're the hi hat of the band, right? So that's that's your gig. So that requires a high level of focus to have the precision to have the timing and the space between the notes to give the band a pulse, right? You want to get you want to be able to give the band a sense of um dynamic pulse that you're the hi hat going you're you're running through this whole thing that way. Yeah. Right? So it takes a lot of focus, and uh, that means, you know, when you're, especially when you're young, you don't have a lot of time for actual relationships with people. <laughs> Too busy with your metronome. I find that's really, that's really, really interesting to me. And one comment is that, like, fast bluegrass is phenomenally fast. Like, when you're up yeah. there at 170, 180, it's, that's phenomenally fast playing. But isn't it so curious? And, and and I know now that you know an awful lot about this, maybe an awful lot more so than uh, other bluegrass banjo players, is that, um, like, I wrote two books on the banjo, on Irish banjo technique. And the uh -huh. second book, the whole purpose of it is to uh, show Irish banjo players how to not be metronomic in their yeah. playing because it's a, it's a flaw in Irish banjo technique. And a lot of yeah. it has to do with tension, which you were talking about, that you end yeah. up with this very yeah. stiff wrist and then become very, very yeah. metronomic, which is Irish music yeah. is not that. Um, no. And, so and bluegrass you... isn't either. Okay. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be, which is why you should use your metronome. Like The ultimate thing is to use your metronome to get really good at timing so that you don't need to use the metronome. Right? Like... Ultimately, you want to be able to push and be ahead, of, slightly ahead of the beat, or be slightly behind the beat, depending on whatever the band is doing at the time. Okay. Right. I mean, is that now Irish music? It's got a warp and woof to it. It's got a. You that's know, a good, that's a good description. I haven't you know, heard that does. before. Well, it, it does. does. Like yeah. you know, it's like sometimes sometimes things will speed up, and sometimes they'll you know, come down and like, yeah, it, it yeah. has a, it has a life to it that way. It does. There's a lot the of uh, what, what, what they call it in classical music, rubato, which is in, in, yeah. there's an Irish word for it, which is nya, N-Y-A-H. Yeah. And it's just that kind of lyrical singing quality to the music. Yeah. So, and it's a very yeah. natural pull and push. It's something that like classical musicians who try to play Irish music, they struggle so hard yeah. to try and get this ebb and flow that happens in it. And ban yeah. Irish banjo suffers greatly with trying to achieve that because of technique issues. Yeah. But yeah. the work that you've done with Damien O'Kane, I mean, you've obviously come right up against 
not I don't say, not right up against, but become fully immersed in that push and pull that happens so naturally in Irish music. Did you have to? Oh yeah. Did you have to go and like really? Was it a struggle to to take your your five string method and 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 merge yeah. it with Damien? It really was because you know although I'd listened to Irish music, I'd never really sat and learned to play it because I was. I've always been such an American roots music kind of person, blues, Robert Johnson, you know, Freddie King. Yeah. Uh, and then on into bluegrass, Bill Monroe and flat and scrugs and all I've, I've been in a, and, and although I've loved Irish music and Paul Brady and Alton and, and now you guys, and of course, Damien's music, Kate's music, it all began to open up, you know, like, I don't know, around, 2000 2005 i really began to dig more into it but i still at the, i still was not learning to play it i was listening to it but i was not learning to play it and when damien started sending me tunes you know like all of a sudden i was going oh crap <laughs> you know how do i do this and and not that I couldn't have done them in a, a bluegrass melodic banjo style. I can figure that out. But my objective was try to play the tunes in a way that sounded like I leaned my bluegrass style into Irish music. Like, I don't want to, like, I never, my my objective in Damien's wasn't this either. It wasn't to make where, oh, Ron's playing Irish music now or Damien's playing bluegrass. It wasn't like that. It's like, here's Ron he has his bluegrass technique and style and he's leaning into Irish music. And here's Damien with his Irish technique and style leaning into bluegrass, you know? So, so the whole thing was to meld something together. So when I was learning the tunes he would send, I would go, well, I want this to sound staccato. Like when he plays, it's got this, it doesn't, you know, with melodic style, the notes all flow into one another. Right. You know what I mean? Like bluegrass melodic style is like the notes ring into other notes. They don't they don't go da 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 da. They go da da. And they, I can't do it with my voice, but the notes ring and they hang over into the other notes. And I didn't want that because it's too it's almost too pretty. There's a wildness to Irish music that that isn't merely pretty. It's there's just something about it that is uh there's a wildness to it and an edge to it as well as a beauty but there's also the wildness and the edge so i was trying to keep the wildness and the edge um and the, that sort of snappiness to it and it took it took me a while to fi to figure out i mean i i literally had to go okay now i've got to use my right hand middle finger and i think i'm gonna have to use my thumb on this next note and I had to like on some of them. I had to like figure out what the fingerings were, rather than just if I'm playing a bluegrass tune, it's just automatic. So I had to so I had to kind of relearn certain elements of how to play in order to play those tunes. And then getting in the studio and recording, you know, our band Acus, Allison, and the Union Station. We lean often when we play. We lean slightly back of the beat. Like, because it's almost a rock, a rock feel. There's a, like, where it just slightly leans back. So it's got this pulse that's, like, just behind. It's it's not dragging, doesn't slow down, but it's just laid back. While playing with Damien, he leans forward, like a lot of Irish players, and like a lot of bluegrass players. You know, when you listen to Flat and Scruggs and a lot of that bluegrass, it leans forward. So I had to get back into leaning forward. To, to play with Damien and there were there were many times we'd do a take and I'd listen back and I'd be like I am just behind you <laughs> you know so so uh, yeah there was a learning curve for me to, to figure out the ebb and flow of it you're listening to Inside the Banjoverse in conversation with Ron Block That's a long answer, isn't it? No, that's a wonderful answer. Are you, you're going to edit this and make me seem intelligent, right? <laughs> no, you're doing that all by yourself. <laughs> I'll just edit me out of it entirely, and then it'll be a fantastic interview. That that makes total sense, Ron, and it's really, really good to hear it. And 
I'm fascinated with your level of curiosity and what you were talking about in terms of the likes of Dan Tominsky and the analysis of music that they're interested in learning. Because I've listened to yeah. lots of bluegrass bands who have done an Irish. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and it has that, that prettiness that you talk about. Yeah. Uh, it's very off-putting for an Irish person to hear because it's like, yeah, there's a Disney version of an Irish tune by a bluegrass yeah, band. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is why I the, the last thing I ever wanted to do when we, Damien and I recorded was for it to be, oh, now I'm playing Irish music. It wasn't. I was just like, I'm a bluegrass. And Damien was like, I want you to be you. I want you to be you and play like you. And so I wanted to put my personality into this blend thing that we were doing. So, so it was, we tried to make it a different kind of thing and not as, not as pretty, right? You, you strike me as a very curious type of person. I mean, in terms of your personality, not odd. <laughs> Maybe you're both. Who knows? <laughs> you can tell me. Why is that? Why is that odd? Not odd. No. And um, I, 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 I mean, I've met you a few times and I'm, I was always struck with your interest in music outside of bluegrass banjo and the curiosity yeah. that that seemed to uh, spark yeah. in you. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's just so much. I, I grew up. The, the first music I heard was Marty Robbins' Gunfighter Ballads and Trail Songs. You know, did you ever hear that? Out in the West Texas town of El Paso. Yeah, you yeah, ever hear that? Yeah. All that stuff. It's beautiful. It's beautiful stuff. And I remember that as a kid. So the first songs I learned were cowboy songs. When I got, I got a guitar when I was 11, cowboy songs. Well, then I had also heard Lindsey Buckingham with Fleetwood Mac and Paul McCartney. And I didn't hear bluegrass till I was 12. So I was just kind of like playing acoustic guitar and then I heard bluegrass and I went crazy for it for about five years. But all the while, when I turned 16, I was totally into bluegrass and I started working at my dad's music store and that they played on the, they played the current radio, but then they would also play their own music. The guys would play their own music they brought in, like they would play Leslie West or B.B. King or Pat Metheny or just all these different sounds and there was a lot of that stuff. There, there was a lot of that music where I would, I would be polishing guitars or whatever my work job was at the time. I'd be polishing guitars, and then I'd, I'd be going, "Wow, that's, that's kicking my butt. <laughs> I love that." Like so, there were things in all these different kinds of music that were hitting me. And then as I got playing more music i ran into people who loved um they were bluegrass players but they loved merle haggard and hank williams and so i you know you just start as a as a young person you just start digging into all these different kinds of music so i've i grew up listening to everything from western swing to um robert johnson to um louis armstrong and Django reinhardt and all that stuff i i just there's so much music any music that hits me, you know, in the gut and in the heart does way better for me than music that just hits me in the head. You know, music that where I don't want to listen to music and go, wow, that's really a fascinating note combination. I really like how they put the flat seven before that. You know, I, I don't think that way. I just go, man, that, you know, if, if something has guts to it, it can be very complex but it has to have the gut level feeling in it. And if it's merely head music, I don't, it doesn't really do much for me. I, I'm amazed by some head music. You know, I'm, I can watch players play and go, man, that guy is, his technique is incredible. And I can appreciate the technique, but lots, there are times where I go, but I, I don't really feel anything from it. I don't get a feeling. And that's what I'm looking for is the, the thing that makes me go, I'm going to go practice. <laughs> You know, like when I listen to Django play guitar, like I can listen to three cuts of a, of an album with Django Reinhardt. And then all of a sudden I go, man, I got to play my guitar. I just have to. Or if I listen to J.D. Crow play banjo, it's the same thing. So that's where the curiosity is comes from. It comes from being sparked by things that are truly beautiful and great and lovely and then and then you just you just want to figure some of it out and 
And now I never learned Django solos to become a Django player. I just want to learn his pathways. I want I want to go. Well, what roads did he take down up and down the neck that I don't know about? And how can I explore those roads and then find roads off of those roads where I can learn more about the neck of the guitar or the banjo, right? And that's that's why I'm curious because it it's uh, it's infectious to listen to great music and be um, sort of have your desire, you know, sparked and um, and then you're pushed along in this flame of you know, wanting to know more about the thing. It's really beautiful. It's a, so music, music to me is a light, it's a lifestyle. You know, it's just something that I, that I love, that I love to do. So, Do you play every day, Ron? Do you practice every day? I try to, um, well, you know, I, I can't even say I try to, I just do every day. There might be like yesterday, I didn't play my banjo because I'm working on playing guitar and vocals. And so, I just ended up not playing banjo yesterday, but that's a rare thing. Usually I play, try to play banjo every day for the very rock bottom is an hour on banjo, hour on guitar, hour on vocals, very rock bottom. But if, but if I, because if I don't, then I'm frustrated. And I know if I don't for two, two days or three days, I know what's coming. I'm going to pick up the banjo and I'm going to be mad. You know, like I'm going to be like, ah, I don't want now I've got to play for a couple of days before I really feel that freedom again. And that's what I, I think that's what I'm looking for when I'm playing is is a sense of freedom of being able to hear something that I want to play and being able to pull it off. That's what I that's what I really love. I, I don't like playing the same, you know, like exactly the same way every time i like to improvise and play around with stuff so um do you suffer any self-doubt or have you an inner critic or has that just been banished after years and years of practice no um although in the early years it was that inner critic just nearly drove me bananas and uh now i I, most of the time i you you know you almost have to turn and face that inside yourself and go what is that um there's a practice uh her name julie julia cameron she wrote a book called the artist's way and she has this practice called morning pages and one of the things morning pages does is it basically takes your inner critic and spews it out all over the page you know you're just writing everything that you're you know, thinking or things that are eating. I always look at it like, you know how you have RAM in your computer and you only have so much random access memory. It's it's for the program opens and then it goes into that random access memory. It's like temporary memory. Well, if that's full of programs, your computer slows down. And so like if you have the inner critic and, and there's stuff that's you're not addressing and it's eating way, way at the back of your mind, it's using up whatever percentage of your RAM that could be used for other tasks. So if I'm practicing and I'm letting that inner critic go, yeah, it's, you're not, you're just not getting any better. You're just, you're just not going to be able to play uh, the speed you want to. I guess you're just getting older and like, you know, you hear that stuff. And if you don't turn and look at it and go, what is this exactly? Where does this come from? If you don't look at it and analyze it and kind of think it through, uh, it'll just sit there and keep up eating, keep eating your hard drive. Now, I think that's why some people just quit eventually or quit before they even really start. They just hear the voice in your head that in their head that says some people are just downloaded with a magical fairy dust of talent and you're just not. And then they quit, you know, when they play guitar for for half a year, you know. So you have to I do I do I still have that, you know, but if you retrain the inner critic it becomes a coach so like if i'm if i'm writing like i mean i don't mean write necessarily writing songs but like if i'm writing an article about music or whatever and the inner critic keeps going well that's not the right way to say it oh yeah that's that's that doesn't make sense you know i can basically say okay go away and shut up 
And then when I'm editing, come back, please. But, I, but I'm not ready for you now. I got to dump all this stuff out. Go away. Shut up. And then when I need you, come back here and help me edit. And that's what that's really what the inner critic is for. It's for editing. So it's that analysis function that we were talking about, like with Dan, that ability to analyze at a high level. If that critic is put in the proper situation, then it's really a powerful thing. But if it isn't, then it can kind of just crush you with criticism. Make sense? I think it's an absolutely amazing answer. Okay, good. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes um, I go, okay, I just said a bunch of stuff. I don't remember half of what I just said, but. <laughs> no, I think that's, it's really inspiring, um, practical and brilliant. Mm-hmm. I've tried the morning pages and there was so many expletives on it. Uh, I, yeah. I was afraid anyone would ever read it. <laughs> well, you can burn them after. You don't have of to course, Well, yeah, but that's, that's not a maybe. Um, <laughs> but that, that, that answer really yeah. inspires me to go back and, and, and do those again. I think yeah. that's, a, that's a wonderful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's helpful. You're listening to Inside the Banjoverse in conversation with Ron Block. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Yeah. Who, who was your greatest champion that championed you as a musician? Well... Now, my my dad got me my first instruments, and my first like my first book where I started learning banjo, and and um, so my dad owned a music own used to own a music store, um, but but when it came to like psychologically, a champion, my mom was like, I mean, my mom just said, do what do what God put in your heart to do. Like when I would question whether I was supposed to play music, she would go, do what God put in your heart to do. She would always encourage me that way. And uh, she passed away in 2009. And I really felt, I really felt for a couple of years that that sense of something in the world that was super encouraging was gone, <laughs> you know, because she was, she was a, um, I think she was a lot bigger power in my life than I gave her all the credit for sometimes you know when i was younger mm. she was so she was she was really encouraging and uh, of course dad provided all the stuff that i needed and and as a teenager dad and my stepmom they gave me all the time i needed i was basically you know had my own room and it was in the garage and it was um a nice room built into the garage, but it was separate, kind of separate from the rest of the house. So I could play banjo at all hours and guitar at all hours. And uh, they gave me tons of time. They gave me the instruments. They had, and uh, I had an endless supply of cheap strings because I could get them for cost from dad and, you know, all that stuff. So, that's brilliant. yeah, there was, and there was a lot of people through the years, a lot of people through the years that helped me out, that helped me when I needed, needed help. Yeah. You have kids, Ron. Are they music? Do they play music? I do. Um, I have two. Uh, our daughter is uh, turning 21. Our son is turning 23. And they both play and they're both, you know, they both have the ears. They can hear. And I could tell they could both be super killer players. But both of them. You know, as it is lots of times with professional musicians, the kids go, I'm going to do something else. 
<laughs> you know, and I think I think that's what happened with you know both our kids. Uh, our son is really into computers and coding and the stock market and all this and and uh, AI science, uh, space travel. He's just really into all this stuff. And our daughter works uh, up at a studio in Nashville. We sent her through a a, a studio. Um, it's called Blackbird Academy. And these young kids go in there and they learn how to be engineers. And so she's working as an engineer at a really good studio in Nashville. At at you know she started at 20 years old. Like it was like sink or swim, and and she's swimming. So wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah. What what would you love to do musically? If you had a, have you a dream project? Have you something that you'd say if I had, you know, money, no object and every opportunity that you would absolutely love to do? You know, I feel like I feel like I've gotten to do so much that I that I never like when I was 18 years old, I thought, man, I'm going to go to Nashville and maybe I'll play with Larry Sparks or Jimmy Martin. And, you know, they were killer bluegrass, you know, players, but, but like, I wouldn't have made a living doing that. And I feel like through the years I've gotten to do so many unbelievable things. I mean, there have been times Allison and, and I are, you know, we're playing with the band somewhere. And after the show, I just look at her and go, can you believe we got to do this? You know, it's like playing at the White House and all these different things we've done. So I don't really have, I don't really have a sense of like, oh, if I'd, I had just had enough money, I, f- I feel like musically, as well as those other things, I feel like I've gotten to do lots of things that I wanted to do like um, playing on the albums with Kate Rusby and Damien that has been an incredible learning experience and a blessing and also uh, the albums with Damien like I, I fi- Damien's Damien's like a brother you know like get to play on those albums and just make that music and just make up music like that we both like <laughs> You know, that's just a that's just a blessing. So to make music with musicians and people that you like and you enjoy being around and you think they're incredible musicians, that's like it's like the best musical life I can I can think I can conceive of. So I when I look at playing with Allison all those years, I've said this to my wife even recently. I could have I could not have picked a better musical or band situation to be in all my life. Couldn't have, I couldn't have, I mean, I could have said, you know, I'd like to play with so-and-so or this high level person or that high level person. And none of it would have been as good as what I, what I have, what I've had, you know, these past years. So I don't really have, I don't really, I, I do have dreams and aspirations and albums that I want to make and I'm, I'm making them, but I just do it. You know, and then uh, I have a lot of friends in high places, you know, like the people that play on my albums are all the people that I would pick, you know, anyway, you know, they're my friends, but I go, hey, Sierra Hole, can you play on my album? And, you know, hey, Jerry Douglas, can you play on my album? And, you know, that, and you, you know they always say yes. It's weird. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it's, 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 um, so I'm in this, I'm in this place of creating, um, being able to create music and I have a studio at home, really nice, you know, high level gear, not, not a lot to record five people, but I can record myself and maybe two other people at a really high level. So, so I have all the capability and, um, now I just am continuing to create music, you know, so I've come up with more albums since 2013 than I had in all the previous years of my existence, like my own albums, you know, I made albums, lots of albums with Allison, but like my own stuff. Um, I made one in 2000, one in 2007, and then 2013, uh, two albums in 2015, two in 2016. And then 2018, the album with Damien, 2019 was the peaceful guitar album. So um, yeah, it just keeps on going. And I'm working on another one. So, Fantastic. Yeah. 
fi- final question uh, what do you like to do outside of music uh, I'd love well we have we have uh, about eight acres here uh, in Tennessee just outside of Nashville and I do we've recently gotten some of the land cleared we had a couple of acres that gotten taken over by uh, non-indigenous honeysuckle like a Japanese honeysuckle and it was just knocking out our land and so we had a company come in and clear and I feel like you know I now walk we have a we I walk through the forest and then I walk around down behind the barn and then I walk all along the creek and so I do like I do like being outside um I I shoot a bow sometimes I like shooting a bow it's fun um other than that other than that it's mostly just being my with my family that's a big thing and and playing music thinking about music i like to read a lot i read a lot and write i write as well so i write prose you know not, and articles and things like that yeah. okay all music related or wider no music music uh and then i'm into writers like cs lewis and george mcdonald and some stuff like that and so i kind of can write on sort of theological topics or god topics i'll write on stuff like that sometimes and then musical topics yeah it's kind of both of those uh and lots of times you know like you said about what i said was practical i always focus on what's ultimately practical so like and sometimes music and god topics mix (laughs) you know because it's all ends up being a similar thing truth is truth no matter no matter what it you know what what uh area you're talking about you know if there are principles that work in music they're going to work in sports right if there are principles that work in sports they're going to work in writing you know it's like the, the these principles are kind of how the universe is made so um anyway i write on that stuff a lot are you uh, are you a spiritual person or religious because they're quite different uh, it depends on what, I guess, definitions. Yeah. Depends on the definitions of what a person means by religious. Like what most people mean by religious is you go to church, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't cuss, you do, you know, like that kind of thing. It's like, it's more about religion in most people's minds these days is more about what you do and don't do. And that's not at all the way I think now of course what I believe will become manifested as what I do or don't do it'll come out just like if I believe I can be a good musician if I work hard that's going to come out right so it'll be manifested in my doing but the doing isn't the main thing it's the believing that's the main thing is that you follow that Mm -hmm. so so but people take what they call religion and they flip it upside down like that and they go it's all about doing do's and don'ts and a list and keeping a list and if you keep the list then god goes yay do you win like that's not and that's not how it works at all (laughs) it's not how it works at all (laughs) yeah god doesn't yay that list yeah (laughs) so yeah so i guess you would say if we're talking about definitions like that, you would say I'm spiritual because I think spirit comes first and spirit is the thing that generates the doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what you what you believe and what's in your spirit and what you believe is possible for you and and even what you who you believe God is will be manifested in your life. It's 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 basically the, the it it will come out in your doing. But the doing isn't the thing. That's not where you start. You start with the believing. So I would say, I would guess from your the, your the look on your face, I would be, I would say I'm a spiritual person. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot more to you than banjo run block. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I love banjo, but but uh, I love lots of other stuff too. Wonderful. Listen, Ron, yeah. thank you so much. Absolute pleasure to talk to you. Oh, it's great. It's great.
Thank you for listening. If you loved this episode, please head over to our website, webanjo3.com, to subscribe, rate, and do leave us a review. It makes a huge difference. See you next time, Inside the Banjo. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.